sermon text this morning is going to start in verse 4, and we're going to read through verse 25. Deuteronomy chapter 6, starting in verse 4, hear the word of our God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you, with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of all good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant, and when you eat and are full, Then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you. For the Lord your God in your midst is a jealous God. Lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you, and he destroy you from off the face of the earth. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test as you tested him at Massa. You shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God and his testimonies and his statutes which he has commanded you. And you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may go well with you and that you may go in and take possession of the good land that the Lord swore to give your fathers by thrusting out all your enemies from before you as the Lord has promised." When your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. The Lord showed signs and wonders great and grievous against Egypt, against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from there that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that we, that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. And it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do this commandment before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. Well, Father, we ask now, that you would take this word, Deuteronomy chapter 6, and that you would shape our thinking, and not just our thinking, but the deepest part of our personalities. Father, we have ambitions for our church and for Thunder Bay, and we ask now that Deuteronomy chapter 6 would shape our ambition. And so, Father, would you take this word 
And would you bring it to bear upon our hearts that we might be changed by it? We plead this in Jesus' name. Amen. As many of you know, as a church, we have four ambitions. We're pursuing four ambitions in this new season of of ministry, and those four ambitions are as follows. We, we want to, in the fall, so September 10th, we're going to move to two services. Our second ambition is to add a second pastor. Our third ambition is to build up our children's ministries. And fourth, we want to prepare and make ready for more space. Now, if these ambitions are new to you, if you're just hearing about them for the first time, there's a more... Uh, there's a, a more full explanation of these ambitions. There's documents at the, the welcome desk. Um, this document has been put in the weekly e-bulletin, and you can find them there. And I would encourage you, if you aren't understanding these, that you would go pursue those out. Now, we have to ready ourselves to pursue these ambitions. We have to ready ourselves, by God's grace, to accomplish these ambitions. And if we're going to do that, we need teaching. We need to understand what the Lord has for us. And we need not just teaching for these ambitions. We need challenge. We need challenge. Because if ambitions are any good, they are challenging. They make demands. They require cost of us. They call for energy and effort and sweat and toil. And they must be met with willingness and a resolve to get them done. And so throughout the summer, in the lead up to the fall, we're going to be working through a series of challenge sermons. And the aim of these sermons is rather simple. these, These sermons are going to press us with a call to action that we might get these ambitions done. And so this week, I'm going to take up our third ambition, that is to build up our children's ministries. In a couple weeks, Evan is going to take up our, our first ambition, second service, and then in August, we're going to work through a few more challenge sermons. And so you all should have some material about children's ministries with you. You should have a a document, three or four pages, and then you should have a a little yellowish-orange card that says challenge on it. We're going to get to that, so you can set that down for the moment. But before we can understand any of that, we need to think biblically, we need to think scripturally about this ambition. And so we can wrap our arms around this, this third ambition to build up children's ministry by asking three questions from Deuteronomy chapter 6. First question is this, what are we aiming for? What are we aiming for? Second question, what tools has God given to us? So we're aiming for this. What tools has God given to us that we might get that done? And the third question, what role does the church play in all of this? So three questions. We'll work through the text with them. So let's start with the first question. What is it that we're aiming for? What do we want to get done? What is our target for our children? So let's just take a moment and pause here. Pause for a moment and think about all of the little people around you. Some of them have already left. Those little children that have left have trouble sitting still. Some of them are crawling. Some of them are wobbling around. Some of them have a few words. Some of them don't have any words. And and they've gone downstairs and they're being served. And there are older children and you can see them around you. Some of them have Bibles opened up on their laps. Some of them have sermon notes and they've got crayons ready to, 
to take in the sermon. And there are other children, and they're not little anymore. They're getting big. They're, they're almost as big as their parents, or some of them are bigger than their parents. And they're ready for the next phase in life and all of the new opportunities that come along with that next phase. And as we think about all of our children, from the little ones downstairs to the ones who are sitting with us now, what is it that we want for our children? What do we want as a church for our children? Well, look at Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 6. Moses says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Let's just think about these verses for a moment. Moses gives us two answers to our first question. What is it that we want for our children? We want our children, first of all, to know the Lord our God. Moses says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And in this one sentence, Moses sums up the essential knowledge of God that all of Israel, both young Israelites and old Israelites, must know and gladly confess. The Lord and the Lord alone is God. All the the gods of the so-called, all the so-called gods of the nations, they are nothing, they're emptiness, they are foolishness. The Lord and the Lord alone is our redeemer and rock. All else, whether that be gods or weapons or armies or social programs or our own good deeds and merits, they can provide no salvation. The Lord and the Lord alone is your comfort, your security, your defense. And all other hopes, they only disappoint They expose us to vulnerability and failure. The Lord alone is to be worshipped. No one else gets our thanks or our praise or our prayers. The Lord and the Lord alone. So what do we want for our children? We want our children to know this God, the only God. That they would look to him for salvation. That they would only praise him and only serve him. So, Moses gives us an answer. But he gives us more because we have to understand that this knowledge that Moses has in mind for Israel is just not a few facts memorized about God or a few Bible verses crammed into the top of your head or a few morals given like this thin veneer of morality that you might want to follow. Moses has more in mind. This knowledge must go deeper. It must burden and subdue the entirety of one's personality. It must be something that that lives and takes shape in one's soul. In fact, it must take control of the person. And this brings us to Moses' second answer that he gives us. He says this, You shall love the Lord with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Now think about it. Because the Lord is God and there is no other, because the Lord is our redeemer, our rock, our comfort, our security, our defense, because he is our maker and our glory, we with gladness and joy give ourselves to him and we hold nothing back from him. We give him our heart in all of our affections within us. That's what Moses is talking about. And we give him our life in all of our days. We give him our strength in all of our abilities and deeds. We give everything to God. And so what do we want for our children? We want them to love the Lord our God with all of their heart and with all of their soul and with all of their strength. Now take a step back with me for a moment from the text. If you are a parent, you know this well. If you are a parent, it is to be bombarded with expectations and pressures. 
Think about all of the expectations and pressures that meet you as a parent. There is the matter of sports. When sports comes, there are practices and training and camps and tournaments and games. There's a, a whole world in sports. There's the matter of academics and all of the achievement that can be gained through books and study and programs. And after academics, there's this readiness thing that parents talk about, getting your children ready for university and ready for the, the marketplace. There are all of these pressures put on parents. Now, don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with sports or academics or getting ready for the next step. No sane parent will turn an eye to these things and not wisely invest in their children. Good parents will do those things. But what Moses does is this. He gives us, as the people of God, glorious perspicuity. That means he gives us clear and lucid understanding of biblical reality. And we need to hear this and receive this and act on it, both as parents and as church members. Hear this. Sports don't matter. Academic achievement does not matter. Readiness for the marketplace or for the academy does not matter if our children do not have what Moses talks about in Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 6. If they do not know this God, the only God, and if they do not love this God with their entire personality, they don't have anything. They don't have anything. They don't have life itself. They are lost. And this is the knowledge that we need to operate from. And so parents, and not just parents, but fellow church members, here is the call. This is what I'm asking you for. I ask you to leverage what you have. So you've got time, you've got money, you've got energy, you've got talents. I call you to leverage what you have so that your children and the children of this church would both know and love the Lord our God. That's the call. And it is a worthy call to pursue. My old seminary professor, Sinclair Ferguson, was lecturing on the book of Proverbs, and he said this, and I haven't forgotten, I don't think I ever will. He said, the only possession you can take with you into your, the next life, it's not your house, it's not money, it's not cars, it's not your success, all of these things. The only possession you can take with you into your next, in the next life is your children. Your children. And as we think about it, isn't that what we want as a church more than anything else? We want the next generation to know and love the Lord our God. We want our own children. And we want the children in this community to know and love the Lord our God. And so this is our ambition. I'll state it like this. Our ambition is not to just to have programs well-oiled and run. No, our vision is bigger and greater and better than that. It is a vision that soars and has eternal weight to it. We want our children, the children of this church, and the children that are drawn into all of our ministry programs to go Godward. That means we want them to be washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. We want them to be forgiven and sanctified and justified and ultimately one day glorified. We want them to know God and love God. We want them to walk with God in his word and to carry on in communion with him, deep and sweet and intimate. That is our ambition. This is what we want. We want our children to be, to be subdued with the glory and weight of our great God. So that's our first question. What are we aiming for? Well, we're aiming for Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 6. 
We want our children to know and love the Lord our God. Now this raises a second question, doesn't it? We have our aim, there it is. How how do we get there? Or what tools has God given to us so that we might get that done? And we have to get this squared away right from the get-go. We cannot remove God from our thinking here. If our ambition is to succeed and bear fruit, if our children are to know and love the Lord our God, God himself must show up and do supernatural and extraordinary wonders in our midst. That is what must happen. It is so interesting when you read the Bible after the book of Deuteronomy because Moses' words get picked up and used again and again throughout redemptive history. For example, the prophet of Ezekiel takes up Moses' words and he makes a point Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 6 is not ultimately done by men and women and programs. When people love the Lord their God with everything, it's because God has done something. And Ezekiel says this, chapter 36, verses 26 and 27. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and to obey my rules. And so if we want our children to know and love God, we must be God-centered in all of this. We must be a people of faith waiting on God, looking for God to show up and do what only he can do to change hearts. But we still ask this. Well, how does God work these supernatural wonders and miracles in our midst? How does God do this? Well, our God is wise, and he is sovereign, and he is powerful, and he could save sinners in any such way that pleases him, but our God, in his wisdom, chooses to use specific tools. And the tool that God normally uses to bring children to saving faith in Jesus and to living knowledge in God is this. Take note, this is our second answer. Parents. Parents. Listen to Moses again, chapter 6, verse 7. He says this. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. So you see, do you see God's wisdom here? What does God do? He, he gives children to parents. And not only does he give children to parents, but in God's wise economy, he uses parents, both their words and their deeds, to bring children to himself. And God has not entrusted this care and work to schools or to the state or to parachurch organizations. He has entrusted it principally to parents. And so we ask, well, how, how does this work? And Moses gives us two answers in verse 7. Moses, first of all, says this, you shall teach them diligently to your children. I think this means formal instruction. And so parents, here is your duty to God. You must teach your children the word of God, the ways of God, and the commands of God. This is your duty You must put into place and carry out a systematic plan to introduce your children to God's great book. You must seek to implement daily rhythms within your household that you might lead your children to God in worship and in prayer. That is your duty as a parent. That's what God says to you. And not to be neglected in this formal instruction are the means of grace. Parents, you must make sure that your children have full access to corporate worship and all that goes on in corporate worship. And sadly, this is something that we often neglect and don't think about. 
sports and activities and other such things impede the Lord's Day, not just the Lord's Day, but specifically corporate worship. That hour where God is to be worshipped and praised and communed with, where God reveals himself and communicates himself to his people. And so parents, here is a call for you. You must care and you must care deeply. More than attendance at practice or participation in a tournament, that your children would come on the Lord's Day and commune with the Lord their God and with all of God's people, Lord's Day by Lord's Day by Lord's Day. That they would get God. Now I want to persuade you of this. Perhaps an illustration will help. It's a bit gruesome, but it's the best illustration that came to mind. And so the illustration goes like this. If you want to get hit by a truck, if you want to get run over by a semi-truck, where are you going to stand? Are you going to stand in the bush all by yourself? Or are you going to stand in a, a deserted dirt road? Are you going to stand in the middle of a baseball field or a hockey rink? No. If you want to get hit by a semi-truck and get run over by, where are you going to stand? You're going to stand in the middle of the interstate freeway at peak rush hour. That's where you're going to stand. And so hear this. Do you want your children to experience God? Do you want your children to participate in Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 6? Then you must do this. You must take them to the place where God has promised to meet his people. And where has God promised to meet his people? Well, it's in the gathering of the saints where his worship, his worship is lifted up to God and his word is preached and the sacraments are there in their fullness. So do you want your children to know and love God? Well, take them where the semis are driving. And the semis are driving in corporate worship because God has promised to meet his people there. And he may meet your children there as well. And so parents, you must give formal instruction to your children and you must be diligent about it. And so think about it. Devising a plan can be so daunting. And carrying out that plan can seem impossible and remaining faithful to that plan can seem like a massive chore. And when all of the cultural pressures come pushing on us, we live in a culture where there is no sacred time or sacred space or sacred things. Just so hard to remain faithful to the Lord. And Moses knows all about that. Think about what Moses is doing. He's preaching to a people who are going to go into a pagan land full of Canaanites who do not worship the Lord their God. And so what does Moses say? He says, you shall teach them, not casually, but diligently to your children. He's calling for commitment and resolve that we would stick to this and not give up on it. And so we must formally instruct our children. Go back with me to verse 7. Moses doesn't limit instruction to just the formal. He includes the informal as well. He says, You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. And Moses has in mind all the mundane matters in our lives. He has in mind that early part of the morning when everybody wakes up and they're kind of confused about what's going on and everybody's searching for food. He has has in mind that. He has in mind the time of the day when you're driving your kids around from here to there to over there. He has that time of the day when you're sitting down at the dinner table after a full day of work and school and all of those things. He has that time right before bedtime when you put your kids to bed. He has all of those things in mind. 
And what Moses does is he commands that parents must make use of all of these moments for the sake of God and his words. And we don't have to complicate this. This can be so simple. It can be simple as saying a prayer of thanksgiving before you eat, every time you eat, thanking God for what he gives, your great provider. It can be as simple as when you put your kids to bed, especially when they're little, you just put your hand on their head and you give them a benediction, you give them a, a blessing. Here, go to sleep with God's blessing upon you. It can be as simple when your kids are as little to, to pointing to a fish that you catch and say, God made that. Isn't God good? Or pointing at the sky, God made that, or the tree. And as they get older, it means making space for them in your life and in your schedule that they might know you. And better yet, that you might know them. It might mean keeping your children up later or you staying up later so that you might have conversations with them and they might unburden their hearts to you. Can you see what Moses wants here? There's so much white noise in our lives, these margins. And what Moses wants is he wants parents to go Godward with their children in those moments, making the most of them so that their children might know the Lord our God. And so that answers our second question. What tool does God give us? Well, he gives parents. And parents must formally and informally instruct their children in the ways and words of God. So we have our third question. Well, what role does the church play in all of this? What role does the church play in all of this? And so we have this aim we want our children to know and love the Lord our God. We have parents. Parents parents are given as these disciple makers so that children would know and love the Lord our God. What, where does the church come in? Well, look at the text for a moment. Moses is writing here. Or we could think Moses is preaching here. And we have to ask, well, who is Moses preaching and writing to? Well, clearly we have one answer. He has in mind parents. He's He's instructed them. He's focused his attention on them and told them what they must do. But get this. He is preaching to the whole covenant community. He's preaching to the whole church here. He's preaching to children and to single adults and to couples who don't have or, or can't have children, to the widowed, to grandparents, to the elderly. And he places these words about children and their needs in the ears of all of God's people. Why does Moses do that? Well, he does this because the whole covenant community has a responsibility to the children who are in the church. Do you see that? Moses is preaching to the whole congregation, telling the whole congregation how parents should parent and how, how children should learn. And he does it because Moses wants the whole covenant community bound up in this work. And so what does that mean for us as a church? Well, three words fill out our responsibilities. First word is this, encourage. Both parents and children need encouragement. Children need encouragement. They need to hear words spoken about the goodness of parental instruction. They need to hear that listening and obeying your parents is good and right. They need to hear words about the goodness and greatness of God. They need to hear words about the goodness of God's laws and ways. And they need to hear these encouraging words, not just from their parents, but from other men and women who know and love God. And as we think about it too, parents need a lot of encouragement as well. And so hear this. If you are a parent, God has brought you into a high and honorable station. 
You need to hear words like this, Psalm 127, verse 3. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. This is God's favor to you that you have become a parent. You need to remember that. And parents need to be roused. They need to be stirred up so that they might pursue their duties with with diligence. They need to hear words like Ephesians 6, 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Fathers need to be charged again and again. Get on with your work. You can do it. And above all in this matter of encouragement, parents, especially children, need to be carried along by the prayers of God's people. If we want to see this ambition take place, we as God's people need to give ourselves to prayer. Praying for our parents. Praying for our children among us. That this would take place. That's the first word, encourage. Second word, equip. Parents need to be equipped. And as you think about it, this is where we often get tripped up in practical obedience. We get this ambition, we get this call, I need to do these things, but then we enter into our lives and we say, I don't know how to do these. How do I lead my family in worship to God? What does that actually look like day to day? What does that look like tomorrow, Monday? How do I teach the Bible to my children when they are really little and they, they can't seem to sit still for anything? How do I teach, my, teach the Bible to my children when they're old, when they become teenagers? How do I discipline my three-year-old son? How do I discipline my 13-year-old son? How do I navigate issues like smartphones and appropriate clothing and education and all of these things? And certainly the pulpit has a part to play in equipping God's people But as we think about it, the pulpit can't adequately meet all of these demands. There's so many demands. There's so many particularities that meet us as we think about our children. So what is needed is not just sermons and seminars and formal training, but what is needed is the people of God coming together in order to equip each other for the task. Parents need to rally together and say, we're going to do this because we want our children to know and love the Lord our God. We're going to help each other. We need older, wiser Christian parents to come along younger, less experienced parents. And we need less experienced parents open and willing to receive the the counsel and admonition of those who have exemplified wise parenting and have the fruit of it in their hands. And here's the good news. God's people are equipped to do this. We are equipped to do this. And why are we equipped? Because God has given us a book a book that is sufficient for all things. He's given us a book with Deuteronomy chapter 6 in it that teaches us how to train our children. He's given us a book, all sorts of practical wisdom, the book of Proverbs on how to raise children, specifically sons. He's given select passages in the New Testament that help us as well. And as we take in these scriptures as God's people, we can equip one another to do this. So that's the second word, equip. And the last word, The church must supplement. Now the word supplement is carefully chosen here because our programs are not intended to be a replacement to the natural family. Rather, our programs are intended to give aid and help to the family. The church can take the instruction received at home and seek to drive that instruction deeper. That church can can take teaching and further establish it in the minds and the hearts of children. The church can reinforce the teaching and doctrines of God's word. And that's what our aim is in programs like BLAST and Sunday School and Junior and Senior High Ministry. We want to supplement parents in their ministry to their 
children. And it is with this word supplement that we as a church need to step up and take action. So here's the challenge sermon part. There's been challenges throughout, but this is where, we, where the rubber really meets the road. We need eager and committed volunteers to make these programs run and run well. We need a lot of help. And so if you would now, we have these documents. If you would take them in your hand, I want to work through them with you. And here's the practical challenge Fall is coming, and it's coming fast. And our ministries are going to be starting up in September. And if we want our third ambition to be a success, it has to start with this. We need volunteers to fill each and every role. So take this packet. You have this document. It's one, two, three, four pages. And just, just grab hold of it. There's different categories here. So there's a Sunday school category. There's a blast category. And then there's junior and senior high ministry category. And so let's look at the first page first. So we've got Sunday school. So what's Sunday school? Well, as we move into the fall, we're going to have two services. And we're going to have childcare at both of these services from infants up to grade three. And so we need helpers. Actually, we need nine volunteers in total every Sunday. So we need leaders. And helpers. I'd encourage you to take a read of this and consider it. If you flip the page, we've got Blast. Now, BLAST is a growing and thriving ministry. We had Summer BLAST, which builds off of our normal BLAST. We had over 80 kids this last week. And we have a lot of kids coming into BLAST. And there's probably going to be more of them. And so we need lots and lots of helpers. BLAST takes place Friday nights. And so we need different volunteers. First of all, we need someone for registration, checking people in, checking people out out. We need a worship leader. We need two group leaders leading SK through grade two. We need two group leaders reading grade three through grade five. We need a games leader. We need a teacher. We need a snack coordinator. We need at a minimum nine people every Friday night. And ideally we could use more because when you have 50 kids in the building or more, it's a lot of kids to keep track of. And so please, take a read of all of these job descriptions and consider them for yourself. How can I, how can I supplement here? How can I throw in here? How can I help here? If you flip the page over again, we'll find junior and senior high. And so we're expanding our ministries this fall. And so we want to serve all of our kids. So we've got Sunday school for the little ones. We've got blast as they get bigger. And now we've got junior and senior high ministry as well. And so we need helpers here. We've got the leaders who are going to be running these programs, but we need people to come in and give supplement to these leaders. And as we think about junior high and senior high ministry, we need eight helpers in total. And so we need leader supports. And so they need to show up on Friday nights and they need to help out. They need to primarily build relationships with teenagers. And so we need four for junior high and we need four for senior high. 
And so we have a lot of needs. We need a lot of manpower to make this ambition work. And so, my aim in preaching this sermon and setting this document before you is that you would be burdened for children's ministry. That you would want to take action and that we would meet all of these needs. And so bless these children and these families. And so here's a challenge card. And we're going to be giving these challenge cards out through the summer for different things that we need to get done for our ambitions. And the first thing we need to get done is we need to fill out all of these ministry positions. So you can take this card. You could even do it today as the Lord is stirring you up and you can fill it out. You can say, I'm interested in serving with Sunday school. And you can jot down your role and put down your name and your phone number. And a member from our our children's ministry teams will follow up with you. So here is the challenge. Children's ministry. Let's do it. Let's fill all of these positions and let's do it because we want to see our children know and love the Lord, our God. So let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you for ambitions and that you call us to be an ambitious people. We're so thankful for the gift of children and we so want our children to know and love you. We want it more than anything else. And so would you stir us up now to meet this practical challenge, to fill out all of these ministry positions? Would you stir up our hearts so that we might get to work and serve these children? Well, Father, we pray a special blessing over all of our children's ministries. We pray that they would, they would multiply, that you would draw more and more children into these ministries, that we might serve more and more. And Father, we pray for fruit. Would you be so pleased to take these children to yourself at an early age that they might know you and walk with you, that they might know the sweetness and glory of the gospel? Would you be pleased to do this? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.